everyone is measured by their gross national product, how much they can produce and consume. All the little purposes are to no avail. Then to see uh, through the lens of wonder and, and, and awe. No striving, no regretting, no desiring. Just being connected and, and reflecting on how I feel for me will lead me towards growth. Thank you so much. That was wonderful, Robert. Welcome, everyone. Very honored to be joined today by Robert Moses. And to read a little bit about Robert, he has 50 years experience as a teacher of yoga and Advaita Vedanta. Born in South Africa, Robert studied architecture, traveled abroad, and in 1972, discovered yoga and the tradition of Swami Shivananda of Rishikesh. He served in the International Shivananda Yoga Vedanta Centers for 22 years, teaching yoga teacher trainings and advanced training courses worldwide. He also founded and continues to co-publish Namarupa, Categories of Indian Thought, a magazine about the philosophies and arts of India. Robert also leads annual pilgrimages to sacred places of India. So Robert, once again, thanks so much for taking the time to be here today. Thank you. All right, I'd like to dive right in uh, with, the, with this question. What matters to you? Good question, difficult answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess there are a lot of levels of things that matter. <clears throat> and uh, what I've come to understand is that it's important to keep one's mind, or I find it's important to keep my mind on the notion that the entire universe perceived through our senses is really a kind of, to put it comically, a show. And that the inner perceiver of that show which you can call soul or self or consciousness is the supreme reality of being and that all things would be, if they could be focused on that thought or beyond that thought, we would 
basically have inner peace, happiness, and a sense of fulfillment. That is a very, very, very difficult thing to do <laughs> because we are completely enthralled and hypnotized by and immersed in the daily act of living. So in that daily act of living, there are many, many important things. And um, probably, uh, and maybe selfishly, I feel that maintaining my mental balance and health is extremely important not only for my sense of being, but in order to be a amenable person around my family and friends and relatives and people that I should happen to meet out and about. So keeping that in mind, there's so many levels of importance and things that matter within that framework. Well, the first thing that you mentioned you know, being being the perceiver, witnessing uh, the the play of what's happening, just watch, watching it all. Does that connect to the second part of being amenable to your friends, to um, kind of existing in a healthier way? Is there a connection between those two things? Yeah, that's a good thing. I think they're totally connected because we can't really. Uh, feel empathy. We can't really feel, uh, you know, communication value with everyone around us if we are not uh, keeping our mind on the notion that comes from that first thing I said that actually those other people are really me and I am them and we're all connected. So keeping one in mind, and I think the important thing to keep in mind is the sort of unbelievable mystery of the universe to which really none of us have any real answer. If we keep that in mind that where did this come from? That is the real thing. What happens? What is going to happen if my body dies? That is the real thing. And all these things, keeping that as one's mental focus or thought focus, it will lead to a better understanding with others when uh, they're having difficulties or problems or we are having interpersonal difficulties or problems or people have ill health or sicknesses, which are, you know, difficult to understand where they sprout from. So I find always myself, I go back to this thought that the universe is a manifestation of something of which I have no idea what it is, <laughs> <laughs> but it is something uh, that is fulfilling in its own self. It is. It has its own sense of purpose. In other words, there's no purpose to the things that we're doing other than just to be a part of this universal sense of purpose. So... Trying to keep that in mind in a daily interactions is very, very helpful, I find. Hmm. Yeah, the word that comes to mind is, is perspective. Sorry, it's having, having this perspective makes, makes all the difference in even just day-to-day -day, uh, act, activities, if I can, if I can keep that, that perspective uh, present. Absolutely. I, I wanted, wanted to ask about, you know, you mentioning that you have no idea what's what's going on, right? Like, 
this this unknowing, right? Is that something that that you kind of that you discovered that you fell into when you were younger? Did you want to know answers? Did you think that you knew a lot more? And you've come now um, to a place where uh, you can you can simply rest in the mystery, and it's okay with you not to know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've gone through many stages of this. There was definitely one stage when I absolutely thought I knew, you know, what all this was about. But I realize now that basically, and also that initial spark did come from a place of trying to find out, like looking up at the stars and how far do they go and where is the end of that and how many are there? And also sort of turning that gaze back and saying, well, we're just the minutest speck in all of that. And now with our you know, modern day uh, ability to see and to calculate distances in space, we find that we're almost absolutely nothing in this vast universe. So to fathom how did all this vast universe, I know science says it came from a big bang, <laughs> but obviously the question is, is where did that big bang come from? So there really is no way that I've ever been able to get my mind to logically follow anything, you know, scientifically or logically or philosophically to understand the nature of that awesome mystery of the universe. Why is it here? How did we come here? How did we evolve to the way we, that we are now? And all these questions are just nothing but a huge mystery. And the only glimpse I've found for myself is every now and then I sort of sense the awesomeness of that, not the understanding of what it is, but the awesomeness of it. And then in the next moment, of course, it's gone because I'm trying to figure out, well, where did it actually come from? <laughs> it, it seems amazing to me that like this process of moving between states of being, you know, that we can go, go through like one, one moment I'm, there seems to be no self, in terms of my personality, I let, let go and I feel connected to the whole universe. And then the next minute, you know, I'm having a conversation with someone and we're talking about you and me and you did this and I did that and all that. And, and this movement between these perspectives and ways, waves of being like, do you find that, um, that there's a purpose to that, to that, to that movement, that fluctuation that happens? And if you have, what might that purpose be? Yeah, I mean, there probably is a purpose in that. Um, one way I try to sometimes try to understand this is I think of myself, say, uh, if there were a big being looking down on the earth and we are sort of like as if we were looking down on a trail of ants. So the ants are all moving around and every now and then they bump into each other and you know, then they carry on moving. So if we were above the earth and looking down, we'd see highways and byways and planes flying and things going around. And every now and then, you know, two of these tiny little things would stick their feelers together and then carry on. But it turns out that what the ants are doing is telling each other where there's food, basically, and how to keep on the track. But what people are doing 
we're just like this moving around on the planet Earth. And as far as we know right now, we're sort of the only beings in this vast cosmos. I'm not sure that there are or others, but definitely it is so big that there's got to be something else out there. So when we bump into each other or connect with each other or groups of people do that, the purpose is, as far as I can see, is just to bring a balance to the whole thing. And that balance doesn't necessarily mean a perfect uh, equilibrium. It could be a whole mass of chaos, seeming chaos. But as a whole, if we can sense ourselves as that whole rather than the individual, there is the balance of the whole thing. So there is, to answer your question, from my point of view, a purposeless purpose. <laughs> the purpose mm. is simply to be a part of this whole interaction. When each one of us as an individual is thinking that we are doing something within that in order to do something else, often we are creating a seeming imbalance in that because we really don't see the whole thing. We just see our little part of it. So we might do an action which we think is a very good, helpful action. It might bring a discordance somewhere down the anti-trail there. Something else might happen. So to sum up, what I've just tried to say is that <clears throat> from what I've understood so far is there is actually no purpose to being other than just for me to understand that I am the whole thing, the beginning, the ongoing, the seeming, where is it from, etc. But within that, all the little purposes are to no avail because Hmm. They never lead anywhere. So a purposeless universe has a supreme purpose. And funnily enough, strangely, from what I understand so far, is the human body has got itself arranged in such a way that it can possibly discern this purpose. Again, why and how, I don't know. But supposedly, it is arranged, the nervous system and the flow of energy in it is arranged in such a way that it can understand its purpose of being in this purposeless universe. <laughs> is that a great gift to be able to, to understand that, to feel I am I'm a part of, of everything? I am everything and I am a part of everything. Like, is that like the supreme gift to have that experience? Yeah, I guess it must be um, completely supreme if we can. But we got to let go of the notion that I am having that experience because it's mm -hmm. the I am having that experience that seemingly is what is actually prohibiting us from just experiencing that sense. So that's it's like the, the, the experience is, is just happening. It's it is just it, happening. Yeah. Hmm. This it's like allowing the process to me is it just feels it feels so refreshing. 
to, to, to allow, like, can you imagine a time in the future where it would just be obvious for human beings to, um, to just acknowledge that, that of course, we're just, we're, we're allowing this life thing that's happening. We found ourselves here. We're a part of this process. We're just, we're just letting, letting it all happen that, that humans could exist with this sense of, of lightness for the human experience. Yeah, that would be totally awesome. I was reading a an article in the Sun magazine. You know, the Sun magazine is an article about fungi. And this guy who is totally into uh, learning about fungi. So, you know, what it turns out is that the rock on which we are, this earth, which was really cooking at the Big Bang time, <laughs> took off and it was just this molten thing which solidified. And then <clears throat> within that, you know, somehow these unicellular things started arranging themselves somehow or other. But sooner or later, meaning billions and trillions of years later, you got these fungi growing. And then these fungi, you know, they started off in the ocean and then they crept onto the land, etc. Basically took this rock and made it into what it is right now. So, you know, with plants and trees and various different animals and so on, they somehow were able to work with this rock. And even now the fungi is just taking matter and, you know, working with it and creating all kinds of spores that flow around the world and do things. And, and then we have these, you know, microbes and viruses because there's so many of them. But if you think of all of that, how come humans just suddenly popped up? <laughs> in that whole process. I mean, we are just a result of all that, that growth that has taken place over this innumerable length of time. So <clears throat> we weren't back there figuring as a fungi, I'm going to evolve myself into a human one day. So yes, it would be to answer what you said, or just to reiterate what you said is, if we just let go this whole thing is just going to go on anyway. But right now, we think we are doing something about it with our intellect, and our minds, and our sense of individuality. But basically, you know, we're mostly, our bodies mostly just different fungi, different microbes, in, in some kind of arrangement uh, that is making us say, yes, we are humans. And in this arrangement, we are so trying to push things around in such a way that um, we tend to do a fair amount of damage to the process. So if we could let go of this and just let it all happen as it's going to happen anyway, well, we'd probably be a lot better off. At least individually, we would also be a lot better off having a peace of mind that we don't have to worry about it. I get that the, the sense of that too. There's another part of me though, that, that considers who am I to think that I know that we're like, we're being dangerous, that we're doing something wrong. Like who, who am I to doubt the unfolding so that even this um, taking very seriously what it is that that I'm doing, there's something that needs to be done, this overthinking, kind of the opposite of, of the letting go. Um, since it's happening, there must be a purpose for it, right? Like the other part of me says, like there must be a purpose, like in, in the divine unfoldment, like what is, 
what is not unfolding absolutely perfectly. So it's like, even when I forget that I'm letting go, I'm still like letting go, right? The part of me that even thinks that I'm on the personality doing something like, well, who created that? Like what's doing that? So then it's like a wider perspective that it's really all just letting go, whether or not, whether or not I want to see it that way. Yeah. And <laughs> I think you're right on. Um, and it's an issue uh, because we all have created this issue for ourselves. We all are thinking, yes, if I can just let go and then we devise all kinds of means, yoga, for example, as a way of just letting us let go. <laughs> and often that leads down the path of holding on to tighter and tighter instead of letting go. So, and you know, I think also this is why people get themselves rolling drunk or jump off cliffs or take huge amounts of drugs or whatever they might do is just to get rid of this sense of, I am pushing this in the right way. Unfortunately, those particular ways that I've just mentioned lead to a whole other slew of problems. And they're not really letting go. They're using an external something or other to have the sense or feeling or idea that I can let go. Of course, the yogis of yore long ago said that, you know, basic, and this is also mentioned in the, you know, the Old Testament as well, is simply be still. But that is extremely difficult to simply be still proven by the civilizations that we've built in thinking that we have a purpose, thinking we need to do something, thinking that we should create more and better. Even like right now, you know, if you look around the world, everyone is measured by their gross national product. How much they can produce and consume is the important thing. <laughs> Whereas if we look at the result of all of that, it's not very happy at all. You know, we're busy kind of cutting off our own supply of food, air, and water in the process of creating something better. Now, this all sounds um, possibly a little nihilistic in some way. However, I'm not meaning it to be like that. What I'm trying to say is that it is going on regardless of what we personally can do. But since we do have the sense of individuality, and we do see that one action will be seemingly beneficial for more, from our point of view, and there are many, many different points of views, from that point of view, we should try and do that if we discover that it's helping us to feel a little bit more balanced, peaceful, calmer, helpful to ourselves and others around us. And if it doesn't, and we see it's creating some kind of confusion, we should possibly try to refrain from doing that action. But beneath all of this is the, the wonderment and the sense that, wow, where did it come from? Why am I here? What am I doing? Does my, as you mentioned, do my own actions and thoughts actually have some kind of an effect on all of this? Well, <clears throat> There's one big clue, if I can go on chit-chatting, and this is the clue I always come back to myself, is that when I am asleep, 
that the whole world doesn't appear. The moment I wake up, everything is there. What happened to it when I went to sleep? Of course, other people will say, well, I was here, I went out and I did this and I did that, you were fast asleep. But I'm only speaking to those people when I'm awake. When I was asleep, I was not speaking to them. So there is a place in each and every one of our everyday common experience where we simply close off, go away completely somehow, shut the senses and go into some kind of space where we're not experiencing the whole universe. At that moment, it doesn't really matter what's going on outside there. It only matters when we wake up and, and we start perceiving around us. So that is a big clue to me that somewhere, somehow, there is a space or a place, not a physical place, a state of being of full rest, no striving, no regretting, no desiring, no running away from, but it's in a deep sleep state. I'm not conscious of it at all. Yet, if we look at it when we wake up at a clock, there was that time period. That's a big clue. If, say you could be awake or asleep, but be fully awake or awake, but be as if you were in sleep. What would this so-called universe look like then? To me, it looks like it's just things happening and going on. But when I wake up, there's a sense of me as a particular individual entity, thinking, seeing, tasting, touching, etc., experiencing, having past memories, desiring things in the future, which um, are all taking place in my perception, somehow linked with, strangely to my nervous system, my brain and the senses, the sense organs, eyes, ears, nose, etc. Somehow this information that I'm seeing all around me is being processed inside me via the nervous system that's making me think that time exists, place exists, there's a past and a future, and so on. So this is the mystery to unlock that. And it's not just to go to sleep at all time. <laughs> <laughs> well, it makes me think of, of feelings, and that feelings themselves are, can be signs, right? Like, how do, how do I feel? Um, doing, you know, different activity. How do I feel when I'm awake? How do I feel when I'm asleep? And how do I feel um, during different aspects of, of being awake? Uh, and that um, just being connected and, and reflecting on how I feel for me will lead me towards growth, which is, I think, what what my true nature wants. Like there's something inside that just wants wants to grow. Like everything we're, we're doing, talking about, like it's in the name of, of growth, um, so if I reflect on feelings, then they're, they're like little clues, like, okay, that felt good. Like, maybe I want to do that again and see if it's a pattern. Oh, that didn't feel good. Like, 
maybe I'm going to leave that that behind. Any thoughts on like feelings being signs or, or clues for us and the disconnect that that maybe we often have from the feelings? Yeah, definitely feelings are a huge part of how we're getting around and experiencing the world around us. Without those feelings, um, we wouldn't have a clear understanding of the physical and subtle worlds around us as well, because you can also, you know, not have certain senses or they could be lost in, you know, accidents or things like that, where you are still perceiving very, very much inside yourself, as you do do in during a dream kind of state, uh, same ideas and colors and sounds and shapes and people and all sorts of things. But you're I think you're exactly right in what you say is that every single thing that we sense or feel is actually a clue or an indication of telling us how we are, where we are in this universe and are we, quote, growing or not growing. So I just want to get back to, because you use the word growing so or growth. So this is really an interesting thing like, what are we growing to or towards? You know, this is the point. It, are we growing, you know, to make the world a better place or a bigger place or to accommodate, you know, everyone better, et cetera, et cetera. What is really growth? And from my understanding and my studies and hopefully practices in yoga, I see growth sort of in the other direction, that we are uh, kind of disassembling the uh, constructed universe to find out where did it, what is its source? Where did this come from? And then the growth doesn't so much look like a spiraling outwards towards something, it rather looks almost like a spiraling inwards towards the source of all of this. And so it's also looking at how we define growth. And also that gets very complex if we go into it because everyone's going to have a different description of that. And often it's to do with time, place, historical circumstance, culture, um, the ways that people do things, etc. You know, if you look at other cultures around the world, some of them don't have the fixation on this idea of uh, taking things in the natural world and then trying to make them into something that is basically looks to be like a good thing, but if we look more closely, it's got some really devastating things around it. I don't know if you've if I've just been reading the book Time and Water. Have you read that book? It's by uh, uh, Iceland, a person from Iceland. It's a really fascinating book. So he went to a bunch of conferences about climate change, and very eminent scientists from all around the world are speaking about the disaster of climate change. And uh, he noticed that at the end of these conferences, which were really good, everyone went away and just carried on doing the same things that they were doing. So, and he's an author and he writes. And 
one of his friends suggested, why don't you sort of write a book which really brings home what this climate change is really doing to us? So he started writing this book about his where he lives in Iceland and his family and his grandparents and what they did and so on. They're a really interesting character. And he, amongst many of the things in the book, one of the things that really strikes home about this idea of growth and change in the world is that he talks about fire. So you know what fire is an element, right? And it's in everything. And if we take this, fire is also in this, although we don't see it because it's not burning. But if we left it, it would definitely after a period of time just become gray and just as if it were burning because actually it is burning because actually fire is in here. So he figures that around the time of the Industrial Revolution, when James Watt invented the internal combustion engine, Watt, Watt did was is got a hold of this fire and put it in a chamber to control its power and its energy, and then we could do so many things with it, which we've created you know, all around us, this incredible uh, world that we live in right now. So he says, <clears throat> if you look at the cars out there and the planes and the trains and the buses and the everything, think of them rather as containers for fire. <laughs> They've got that fire contained in them. And then <clears throat> this fire is powering them to do what they're doing because we figured out a way to contain it and channel it in such a way. So what has happened then is we found out that, yes, if we just dig in the earth and get oil, oil's got all the fire stored inside of it. We can you know, transfer this oil and put it inside these machines. So now I'm thinking, looking at all the cars I see going by and they're all just like these little things of fire. <laughs> so then he says, now imagine your car, how much oil you need to burn to travel around just in a year and put all that oil in barrels and stack it outside your house. <laughs> so you've got wall of barrels of oil, which you're using and everyone in the world is using to zoom around like this. Now, he says, as and he's also like uh, his, his grandparents, parents and grandparents, great grandparents told lots of fairy tales. And in every fairy tale, pretty much around the world, there's a situation where somebody makes a deal with the demon or the devil and to get some power, to get a hold of some power. And generally that demon or that devil says, sure, I'll give you that power, but there's one thing, you're gonna to have to give me your firstborn or your daughter or something in exchange. So he says, like the world right now, we made this deal with this oil. We want to call it whatever, and got this fire, and now it's coming back to claim our children in what's going on in the world. So I told this whole story. You should read the book. It's much better told than I Sounds told. Sounds great. <laughs> However, what we've done is this idea that we can harness that energy and use it in some way or other. We all thought benevolent, get around quicker. It's created a lot of difficulties and a lot of problems, which is coming back to consume not only 
the world we're living in, but generations and generations after that. So is that the change that we're looking for? I'm not sure. I, I understand that, that the change in the growth we're looking for is to basically try to find the source, not for the use, just to know what is the, the mystery of the universe. How did that, you know, as I said earlier, get here and be here? So, and this is what I understand, you know, yogis were trying to do. So um, maybe it's a way to try to understand that. This is my understanding of what is the purpose of being in a human body and growth and change. Meantime, lots of little things we can do in the meantime to be more helpful while we are here. It makes me think of, of this concept that I haven't totally worked out, but I'm, I'm curious to hear if you have any, anything to say about it. But often it seems that um, we have a choice between um, short-term gain, um, which might lead to kind of long-term uh, erosion, you know, negative things. And often the tendency is to take the immediate gratification as opposed to the sustainability. Uh, yeah, I'm wondering if you, if you have any, any, any thoughts of, about that, if, if you've considered that, because um, I, I just see it a lot. Like we're just keep taking that, that, that instant fix, um, even though maybe we should have learned that the instant fix is not really going to give us what we're looking for. No, absolutely. hundred percent. This is uh, we're, we're looking, I mean, the way I was taught this is that um, what happens, we look for that instant fix because at the moment we get whatever we're looking for, we are happy. But what we think is, is that the thing that gave us the instant fix and made us happy was what made us happy. But we neglected to notice that what actually made us happy was that at the moment we got the thing that we desired, we weren't thinking of anything else at that particular one fraction of a second, mm. and we were just happy because we had stopped thinking, stop desiring, desiring more or et cetera, et cetera. But always thinking that it was the, an object outside of us that caused that, we look for it again and again and again. So if we eat something delicious, at the moment of eating it, our senses are satiated, our mind is still. We don't think, where can I get that joy of the sweet, whatever I'm eating? And at that particular moment, there's a feeling of happiness. And then our mind says, well, maybe if I just get more of those, or if I get a bigger one of those, I'll even be happier. I mean, I watch my mind the whole time. Since the pandemic, I've had to not been able to rush out every time my mind is thinking, ah, I just want something. So I've got to stay at home. And little by little, my mind's just become a lot more peaceful and calmer from not going to 
get some kind of instant fix somewhere. So it's looking at the what made us happy when we, what made us peaceful and happy and calm at the moment we got the instant fix. It wasn't the thing. It was the fact that there's no thinking. It's like being asleep at that particular moment. The sleeping is the real joy in life, the bliss. But mm. it, when we get a you know satiated, sensated bliss of one moment, no matter what it is, <clears throat> then we think it is that thing. We're led astray by that illusion. It was always here in the first place. It was the fact I didn't have that peace because my mind was always looking for something else somewhere outside of me. It seems that there's, you know, these moments that come that, that are challenging for us. And like, we don't, we don't want to do it, right? Like you, your example, when you, you want to go out and get something and you realize that, that you can't, like, for me, it makes me think of like, there's this, this part of me inside that's like, oh, well, I want it, you know, I, 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 or I can't do that. Right. Like the thing that you feel like you, you should do, but I can't do it. I can't do it. Um, but, but what I'm finding more and more is that if I can break through that, the real juice is on the other side of, of whatever that obstruction thing that I'm rebelling against. If I, if I work through that, that, that rebellion, all of a sudden I discover maybe that, that I'm stronger than, than I thought I was. And what, what I couldn't do, I really can do. Right. No, totally. It's like having a desire and wanting to fulfill it and letting it go. The desire goes away. It's no longer there. I mean, it might come up again at some future point in time, but right there and then, if you didn't chase after it, it just, goes away. So maybe that's in a way what you're referring to, kind of letting go or going beyond, which is definitely uh, the a nice thing you said there was finding that I have the strength or that I am not really dependent upon that particular thing or particular desire, thought. The other thing that, 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 that you mentioned um, that I really love, uh, and I'm going to be considering more, it almost feels actually a gift. Uh, Cause I think perspective is a gift when we gain perspective. And what I've just gained perspective a little bit from you is on sleep is on the, so often I feel like I just, I just want to take a break from this whole experience of life. Like if I could just like, you know, time out, shut off for, for a while, and then come back, see the world with fresh eyes, because there's nothing I like more that satisfies me more, that feels more appropriate than to see uh, through the lens of wonder and, and, and awe, because I think that's, that, that's the reality of, 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 of nature and our situation. Um, but because of just the consistency of what we're going through, um, it, 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 gets, it, it feels like the wonder is, is diluted and things that are really magic just become ordinary because I'm experiencing them all the time. But what you said about sleep, I think a last thing too, is that like, that's why I love meditation because it feels like almost as close as I can get to the, to the turning off. Like it's not quite that, but it's, it's as close as I can get to that, um, which, which I really love, but sleep is maybe even, uh, more so like that. That's like really turning off the switch. And maybe I haven't appreciated that that is actually happening when I fall asleep. It's like, it's off. And then I wake up. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, also physically, there's nothing as healthy and as refreshing and rejuvenating than a deep sleep. Because at that point, we close off all the senses. So the prana isn't being drained. It's not being lost out of us. And we can, you know, our body can rebound. Our mind can rebound. I've even found that there's some studies that show that when you're thinking and all the neuron activities going on in your brain, there's a kind of a detris that builds up, a kind of a waste product, in fact. And this is drained out of your brain in your via lymphatic system. There's certain parts of the lymphatic system in the brain which kind of drain out the sludge that's left behind by thinking, by neural activity that's going on. So when you go to sleep, that is allowed to drain really, really well. So you wake up refreshed. Your brain is sort of clearer. Sometimes the moment you wake up, you have some like brilliant thought or idea or intuition or clarity because all that sludge is now. And what I've also understood, by the way, is that Kapalabhati, which you know means to make the skull shine, is actually helps to drain that lymph from the brain. So when we, it doesn't just mean, you know, shine like this, but your, the Kapalabhati uh, increases the ability of the lymph system to drain. So it got the name, Shining Skull, <laughs> mm. where your brain, so deep sleep, this is the time. And I found in my life, so I take a nap during the day, but it's usually just a five or 10 minute at the most nap. And what I do, I used to do it later on in the afternoon, around four o'clock or so, but uh, acupuncturist advised me, no, you should do this at 11 o'clock. I said, okay, I'm going to follow his advice. So I'll just lie down and pow, gone. And sometimes I wake up, I don't know where I am. Oh, and then, okay, here I am. But in that few minutes, like there's complete refreshing of your whole being. So it not just gives, it not only gives you the sort of clarity on perception and who you are, but also because you're in your body right now, it helps to refresh and regenerate. So the six to seven hours average deep sleep per night, whatever it is, different people is different, is probably the single most important thing for health, mental sanity, and whatever. I mean, it's a common form of torture is to keep people awake for 50, 60, 70 hours, they go crazy. <laughs> I wonder if, 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 if it's also been a form of torture that, you know, um, most of us uh, force ourselves to wake up from an alarm clock, you know, uh, before yeah. the bo body is ready. I think about that a lot as a kid. I mean, that was, that was the hardest thing for me to do as a child. I wanted to keep sleeping, but nope, you got to get up. You got to go to school. Yeah, yeah. And they're thinking about that too, about kids. Yeah, the whole school system is really upside down. <laughs> I mean, basically, can you imagine making somebody who just wants to run and scream and yell and sing and <laughs> fill with the joy of life, telling them, sit down and shut up. Don't move from that chair. <laughs> this is a really strange form of torture that we 
By the way, it began in the Industrial Revolution as well. So there are lots of things that happened around there. However, you know, the other interesting thing about kids, I don't know if you got your own, but I'm lucky to have three of them. And I, I watch. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they'll go on and on and on, and they do not want to sleep until suddenly, pong. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so so there you are you know they're in the world play fully and totally and they will not they don't want to let it go some kids start yelling and screaming or whatever but then suddenly pow turn it off and they go into this deep deep sleep state so they got a lot to teach us there from the the, the sleep you know and the, what we call the world well, the waking is really just being in the world with all its sense activity, etc. But there comes a moment for all of us where we're going to have to shut it all off and go back to the reality of being without any, you know, sense activity. Mm -hmm. Ah, Robert, this is this has been so great. Um, last question. I uh, have for you is, are you having fun? <laughs> well, sometimes I have fun, sometimes I don't. But I do, I have found that um, comparatively speaking, I'm having more fun later in life than I did when I thought I was having fun. <laughs> So as my, you know, I've got a deeper uh, or more clear philosophical view of things around me, there's less disturbance. When I was younger, I'd get really high and then I'd crash down and, you know, get really high, happy and then crash down. Now there's a little bit more of an even keel. Um, so, you know, that in that sense, uh, if that is what you mean by having fun, yeah, more or less. <laughs> yeah, I think it, that is what I mean. Um, yeah, Swami Satchidananda, you know, it, I think when asked, uh, you know, what is the purpose of life said it's to, to have fun and then went on to explain though, what does it mean to have, to have fun? Maybe not your, you know, the, the basic uh, idea that, that you have about fun. And I think it is more about this, you know, more at finding equanimity that, that, that feels fun. What feels good feels fun. Yeah. You know, I wanted to mention, but I didn't, but actually Swami Satchidananda was the first Indian Swami or monk or yogi that I met in 1972 in Israel, where there was a retreat arranged by a few Israeli women who were the yoga teachers of the day. That was 1972. And they invited a number of Swamis, Swami Satchidananda, Vishnu Devananda, Venkatesananda, but when I began yoga there at that time, the first Swamiji, at the, when I got uh, went to this retreat, who had come there for three days was Swami Satchidananda, and that was 1972, I do believe, and it was a small retreat center outside of uh, Jerusalem somewhere. And all I can remember is that he was very tall and very quiet and very peaceful. And he chanted very nicely and spoke very nicely. And I didn't remember much else after that. 
<laughs> it was uh, so that was way back, long time back. Yeah, gosh, what is that? Fifty years now. Wow. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, long time. Well, Robert, thank you so much again. I really, really enjoyed this time with you. Um, would you be up for leading us in a closing prayer as well? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So one thing I also learned is if you bring your thumbs together against your heart center and then put your hands together in this, you there's apparently a nadi running up here from your belly, Manipura chakra to Ajna chakra, and this helps you to connect that energy. And then when we say Om, it's, you know, three sounds, you probably all know, A, U, Ma, and A is really the waking state down by the Muladhara to the Manipura, and U is the dream state from the Manipura to the Anahata, and then M is the deep sleep state from the Anahata to the Ajna, and then there's a sound going after that, which we can think of about 12 fingers above our head, which is beyond all these three states that we usually have. Oh. Asatoma Satgamaya Tamasoma Jyotirgamaya Mrityoma Amritangamaya Om Purnamada Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachade Purnasaya Purnamadaya Purnamivabhishyate Om Shanti, 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 Shri Gurubhyao Namaha, Hari Om Tat Tat. So thanks a lot, Avi and everyone. Well, I was just going to, to, to ask, uh, if someone wanted to get in touch with you, um, what, what is the best way to find out more information? Sure, that is uh, robert at namarupa.org. That's uh, email address. Got it. We'll put that in the show notes too. Um, great. Any other programs or anything that you would want to mention? Uh, well, mostly I've you know been having pranayama classes on Zoom. And that's been really interesting because people from all around the world are practicing and finding that just a real little bit of pranayama on a regular basis can basically change many, many, many things. So that's a you know basic thing. And we we just finished the Hatha Yoga Pradipika. We're going to start up in August with going through Sir John Woodruff's book, The Serpent Power, you know, which is all about the Kundalini and the chakras 
etc., from uh, Indian text, the Sat Chakra Nirupana. So that text is basically, and so John Woodruff's work was basically what revived an almost lost understanding of what really Hatha Yoga is, you know, supposed to be about. And then it kind of morphed into what is going on in the modern age, which often has lost sight of what that was way back then. So they can look at the website and see any, inf any more information there. Wonderful. Robert, thanks so much again. It's great. Yeah, thanks a lot. Nice to Many meet you. Many blessings to you, brother. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this content and think others might as well, please feel free to share and subscribe.